attention parents and grandparents. The world's greatest children's book author, Brian D. McClure, brings you two books, The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon, both available at Amazon.com and UniversalFlag.com. The entire family has been waiting for these books. Buy both The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon by Brian D. McClure, and your children and grandchildren will be inspired, entertained, and educated by the messages and illustrations contained within. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. The universal flag is a symbol that represents our global community, transcending differences while honoring the uniqueness and commonality of all people. The universal flag companies have reached out to over 67 countries because half our world, 3 billion people, live on less than a dollar a day. Brian D. McClure's mission is to spread this symbol globally to inspire and give hope to people in need. Make a donation today to the people who need it most. Help global empowerment prosper through the Universal Flag Companies and make a donation now. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. That's universalflag.com. The Healing Formula is an all-natural OTC wound care formula developed for bed sores and other chronic wounds. The Healing Formula was invented by a home care nurse and is 100% guaranteed. Please visit our website at www.healingformula.com or call us at 800-357-2944. That's 800-357-2944. Attention parents and grandparents. The world's greatest children's book author, Brian D. McClure, brings you two books, The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon, both available at Amazon.com and UniversalFlag.com. The entire family has been waiting for these books. Buy both The Raindrop and The Sun and the Moon by Brian D. McClure, and your children and grandchildren will be inspired, entertained, and educated by the messages and illustrations contained within. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. The universal flag is a symbol that represents our global community, transcending differences while honoring the uniqueness and commonality of all people. The universal flag companies have reached out to over 67 countries because half our world, 3 billion people, live on less than a dollar a day. Brian D. McClure's mission is to spread this symbol globally to inspire and give hope to people in need. Make a donation today to the people who need it most. Help global empowerment prosper through the universal flag companies and make a donation now. For more information, go to www.universalflag.com. That's universalflag.com. formula is an all-natural OTC wound care formula developed for bed sores and other chronic wounds. The healing formula was invented by a home care nurse and is 100% guaranteed. Please visit our website at www.healingformula.com or call us at 800-357-2944. That's 800-357-2944.
good day and welcome to A Call to Consciousness with author and host Brian McClure. Brian and his guests share their personal stories to empower you in knowing that you too are the difference makers in our world. Now, here's your host, Brian McClure. Hello and welcome to A Call to Consciousness. This show is brought to you by the Universal Flag Company. The Universal Flag and Symbol represents the oneness of everyone and everything. Feel free to visit the Universal Flag website at www.universalflag.org. The opportunity is out there for each and every one of us to help others remember the truth of our interdependence, of our interconnection, and of our dependence on everything and everyone. You know, we talked in the uh, presidential election about change. Everyone talked about change. I think the change that we need in our world is a change in the, the way that we view our world. And as we stop thinking of ourselves as separate from everyone and everything, and we start to see ourselves as connected to, part of, and one with, then a huge shift will take place, not just in the United States, but in our entire world. And that, in turn, will help us to change our world, will change from the wars, will change from all of the things that cause the problems for us in each new day. Tonight on our show, A Call to Consciousness, we are very pleased to welcome Washali to our show. Washali is known as the spiritual wild child of the airwaves. She's an author. She is a host on the radio. She's known as the hostess with the mostest, actually. She's an author. She's written several books. Wisdom Rising is the book that she just wrote. Before that, she wrote a wonderful book, You Are What You Love. And as she says, you love whatever you are giving your attention to. And she's a spiritual teacher. Wishali also has, you know, the same type of life that we've all had. You know, a lot of you may think that Wishali's got everything going for her because she has it all. But she's had the same ups and downs that we all have in life. And she had a call to consciousness, too. We're going to find out about that tonight. Washali, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Brian. It is always a delight to be with you. Well, it's wonderful having you on. So, Washali, I know that in your life you've had a lot of personal challenges, like a lot of the listeners and I have. And a lot of times you don't get to talk about those things. But tonight, I'd like before we get into some of the things that you're doing now, I'd like to maybe go over some of the challenges that you've had in life and some of the ways that you've overcome and maybe come back to a remembering of the oneness and of consciousness that you have. So why don't you tell us some of the things that have happened to you along the path, along your life's journey? Well, it's a, it's a litany, my dove. So uh, I'll just kind of start at the beginning, and uh, that started when I was born. And um, I was born with a, a birth defect on my face, and it it made socializing with other kids very challenging because, you know, kids are not always very reticent, reticent to embracing children that look different. 
and I had a lot of corrective surgery on it, but it lingered because when you're a child, you've got to go through a lot of muscular development. Mm -hmm. And so it it lingered until I was uh, in my late teens, early 20s. And I grew up in a small town, so once you get labeled as being disfigured and freakish, you're going to carry that your entire life. Wow, that had to be very difficult as you were growing up. You know, it, what was really weird, one of the things that it really solidified for me at an early age is there's a difference between how you experience yourself in your own skin and how others experience you. Because my family was used to the birth defect, and it wasn't a big deal with them. But when I went to go to kindergarten for the first time, kids were horrified. Mm -hmm. And they'd run away. I remember them picking up stones and throwing them at me. I remember running home and hiding in people's yards because kids would try and beat me up because they were having their own issues with somebody who looked radically different. And I remember going home, Brian, and looking in the mirror and saying, well, I, I don't see the monster that they see. I, I don't get it. I, I'm the same person I was this morning or yesterday. What's going on? And um, that's one of the very interesting things I learned early as a child, that you have to trust who you are, who you feel you are inside. Mm -hmm. And um, my... Um, my parents divorced when I was young, and my mother remarried a man that also shared a very strong and emphatic passion for alcohol consumption. And as you know, if you're a child and one of your parents is drinking heavily, that's problematic. But if they both are, there's no safe place. Mm -hmm. There's no safe place to go. There's no confidant. There's constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop from each parent. And my saving grace was that a lot of times they weren't around. Um, and my brothers and I kind of fended for ourselves. And then when I was eight, I went to live with my dad. And when I was eight and I went to live with my dad, they put me into another school. And I could barely read or write. I was eight years old, and I didn't, I didn't, couldn't even write my full name mm -hmm. because I didn't get enough parental exposure to know how to write my whole name. And there was a teacher who pulled me aside. I was the only special kid in the class. <laughs> and she pulled me aside and taught me how to read and write and brought me up to speed. I also had a speech impediment. I wasn't speaking well. Speaking well. So she brought me up to speed. And I remember, Brian feeling such a sense of unconditional love from this woman. And I grew up in Southern California, and we spent a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. And I remember seeing her as the sun was coming through the window, and it was lighting up her hair. And she just invoked this sense in me of being a safe depository mm -hmm. for the feelings that I needed for a maternal figure, for a mother figure. And I remember in my mind thinking, this is perfect. I'll make this woman psychologically my mother because she doesn't get angry. She doesn't yell. There's no critical. There's, there's no violence. This is the way to go. And it was a very wise choice uh, as a repository for those emotions until a year or so later when she was violently murdered by somebody who wanted to make it look like it was a Manson murder. So I won't get into the details, but as you can imagine, it was horrific. Oh, and, my. And I, I didn't know how to take this. And when I heard how she died, I, uh, I instantly became amnesic, and I suppressed the memory of her because I simply could not take that on. And it was a couple years later when they found the person that they suspected killed her, 
and they arrested him. And it's a small town, and people are talking about it. There's a resurgence of it. And that's when I realized, oh, my God, I did know her, and I have suppressed the memory. Um, I went... Uh, I left home early when I was 18 and went to college and never came back. And the relationships that I got involved with, every relationship I have ever, every intimate relationship I've ever been involved in, except for the one I'm in presently right now, they all lied, they all cheated, they all slept with my girlfriends. There was a great deal of uh, trauma in being betrayed like that. Mm-hmm. When I was... Somewhere around 24, 25, I was diagnosed terminal for the first time. I was diagnosed terminal with internal organ degeneration from what the Western world called unknown causes. And that's when I discovered the wisdom of Emanuel Swedenborg. And that helped me start pulling together my internal life of understanding you are what you love and you love whatever you give your attention to. And if you give your attention to unlimited things, you live in an interior world in an unlimited place. And if you give your attention to limited things, your interior resides in a limited location. And I started studying Indian Ayurvedic medicine, Tibetan Ayurvedic medicine, and Chinese medicine to get tools and techniques for how to pull together the physical aspect of my experience, Mm -hmm. how to piece my energy back together again, how to understand what to eat, when to exercise, what kind of exercise, how to get a manageable lifestyle for my body type. And that worked really well for about 10 years. It took me about 10 years to fully recover from that. And after I had recovered from that, I was in an automobile accident and sustained a hellacious head injury that I nearly died from. And that's taken me about another decade to recover from that head injury. And when I was going through that head injury, I uh, ended up in divorce court when I found out that the man that I had married was sleeping with other people and lying and cheating. And um, he got rather aggressive in letting me know that if he had his way, I would not survive. So Mm -hmm. I had to go underground. I had to go into a safe house. And why I was trying to stay alive, I had to go through a very nasty divorce. I couldn't work for about seven years, couldn't make any money, went through all of my entire life savings, really literally got down to my last dime before things started to change. Also during that time, I had my car accident trial. And it's very challenging in today's world, if you have a car accident trial, to go to court and win that if you're going up against the insurance lawyers. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know anyone who's ever won in a <laughs> car accident case like my like mine. Mm-hmm. And I lost that. And when I lost that, I went into court with between thirty and $40,000 worth of medical bills. Before it was all done, it was clearly well over 100000 But at that time, it was about between thirty and forty. And I didn't win, so I walked out with all of the medical bills, all of the legal bills, no way to pay my bills, no way to work, and knowing that I needed more medical attention. So let me ask you, Ashali, when you were 24 and you, you came upon Swedenborg, were you still in college? Because I know that you graduated magna cum laude, and you have a, a religion and a, uh, I mean, you had a philosophy 
major and also television and radio, correct? I had a television and radio and television degree. I, gra- I graduated magna cum laude from the radio and television department of San Francisco State University and the philosophy magna cum laude from the philosophy and religion department of San Francisco State University. And yes, I was going to I was going to um, San Francisco State at the time. At that time, I was only in the radio and television department mm-hmm. when I discovered Emanuel Swedenborg, and. I started looking into spiritual philosophy. There was a a very gifted professor there. His name is Jacob Needleman. He's written a lot of books. He's a very charismatic, very interesting spiritual philosopher in his own right. And I began taking his classes as my kind of therapy. And I ended up getting so much value out of that, I decided I need to just get a degree in this. Mm -hmm. So I took that on as my second degree. So really had a great background to really come into some of your toughest challenges in life. What happened when you were going through those challenges? Is is the information, the spiritual information that you knew, uh, did that get buried? Did you use that? What happened? That is actually what really turned my life on a dime. I have a, a motto, Brian. I like to say that if the wisdom you have isn't pulling your butt out of the fire, then it's meaningless. And i got to tell you, apparently I've had a, a, a fine array of fires to pull my butt <laughs> out of. And what I found when I started reading Emanuel Swedenborg is that he talks about the purpose of created life. And he really awakened me to the reality that our consciousness, our awareness, and you know that. This is why you call your show Call to Consciousness, because our our consciousness, our awareness, is our divinity. It is inseparable from our spiritual identity. And our spiritual identity is that we don't have love. We are love. And when I heard that message that I didn't have it, I was it, it created such an inner revelation in my life. Because before then, my life was about dealing with a lot of the anxieties and and the programming that I was an idiot, I was stupid, I was a loser, I was a failure, no one was going to love me. You know, all the traumatizing stuff that happens when you grow up in a dysfunctional community, in a dysfunctional family, when you're unable to write and to speak and to carry on in the normal mainstream of how people are getting educated and getting socialized. So when this idea that I didn't have to earn it, it wasn't a matter of being deserving and worthy, it was my true nature that required me to claim it, to live it, and to share it with other people to realize it. That was my call to consciousness. That was my realizing that I don't have to wait for conditions in my life to get better. I have to start claiming my divinity, coming from my divinity, and recognizing every other living person on this planet as being divine love and wisdom as I am, and that we are all equally God, we are all equally love, we are all equally powerful, and we all deserve to be treated with love and respect and dignity that we would give God itself. So for a lot of us that, you know, listen to that, we hear that, and a lot of us know that, and even you knew that, still that doesn't mean that we're insulated from life's challenges. And it comes back to, do we live that 24 hours a day, 
and in our lives, or do we slip sometimes? Where were you with Swedenborg when you were going through that divorce and you ended up having that accident and, you know, going through those challenges? You know, Brian, that's the only reason I came out functional and intact. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. What a great question. This is one of the things I really love about time with you, is that you get right to the really meaningful things and directing our attention to what is really valuable here on the planet. And this is the... If I can quote Frank Zappa for a minute, this is the crux of the biscuit. (laughs) It's not a matter of why do bad things happen to good people. It's really a matter of how do good people respond when challenging things happen to them. And it's going to happen to you. This is one of the things that I learned about Swedenborg. The planet Earth is a place for us to learn and own and claim our divinity as divine love. And the planet Earth is the arena, the schoolroom, the opportunity to integrate that on an unconditional level because every possible condition is going to come and it's going to find you here on the planet Earth. (laughs) That coming here is about not intellectually knowing that you're divine love. I mean, accumulating information is benign. A bookshelf can hold a lot of information. It's not about intellectually accumulating information. It's about embodying it and living it. So coming to the planet Earth, this opportunity is about, can you be love now? Do you identify with your spiritual identity as divine love and wisdom? Or are you going to let the temporal world separate you from that, disenfranchise you from that? Are you going to let the gyrations of the temporal world determine your value, your power, and your worth? Or Or are you going to own it by giving your attention to it and clinging to the truth like it is a life raft and you are a shipwrecked victim? (laughs) And what I found is that every time something came up, this is exactly what Emanuel Swedenborg talks about in his reading. This is an opportunity for you to step forward and say, I can be love now. And one of the things that I learned about Swedenborg is that when I give my attention to being a good resident of heaven, to seeing myself as a force of love, and to seeing other people as a force of love, and understanding as divine consciousness, as love, I do not have the ability to create a learning experience I do not need. Because divine consciousness cannot create a learning experience of itself it did not need. So when the car accident happened, when the trial happened, when the cheating husband happened, I stood back and said, okay, all of this is working for the evolution of my soul. It's working for my enlightenment, or it would not be allowed to touch my life. And the way I'm going to respond to it is, bring it on. I can be love now. (laughs) My divinity is unflinchable and inexhaustible and is not determinate on the conditions of the temporal world. So bring it on. I'm going to be love now. Bravo, Vashali. Bravo. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. You know, so many times when the shit hits the fan and it's all on me, there's a second maybe where I sit back and say, Why me? Why did this happen to me? And in the very next second, I say, wow, I created that. I needed that. What's the lesson? What do I need to get past? And the one way to do that is with the greatest gift that I've ever been given by spirit to know that the only thing that's real is unconditional love. 
And as Swedenborg and you say, we don't have it, we are it. And so does everything on the planet. You know, a lot of people don't know that trees and rocks and grass, everything vibrates from just one vibration, and that's unconditional love. And that changes everything when you can feel that, when you're part of that, when you know that. When you own that and claim that, doesn't it? When you look around and see that all the animals are God consciousness having a cat experience, a dog experience, an elephant experience, in the same way that we are God consciousness having a human experience. And the planet is God consciousness having a planetary expression, that everything is the expression of God showing up. I mean, Brian, how cool is that? <laughs> I've always said that we are the greatest computers on the planet. You can put any piece of machinery in front of anyone, but it doesn't even come close to a human being, an animal. We have all kinds of senses, and we have all kinds of opportunities to feel emotions and to go through life's challenges, I mean, what better place to be than here and experiencing all these things in real time? There's no moment like the present moment. I'm so with you, brother. <laughs> so as you got through some of those traumatic issues, what happened in your life? What did you decide? What changes did you decide to make after the, you lost the, the case and you needed some more medical help? You know, one of the really interesting bits of wisdom that Swedenborg says is when you want to change your life, understanding that what you're giving your attention to determines where you live spiritually. So during the course of your day, be conscious, be aware, take a sampling of what you're giving your attention to, because what you're giving your attention to is what you're giving your love to. So ask yourself in the course, in the course of the day, how much of your attention goes to worrying about something, seeing yourself as the person that doesn't have enough time, isn't going to have the money, isn't going to have the opportunity, the person that gets in the slowest lane on the freeway, the person that's <laughs> going to get behind the person in the express lane that's got 30 items and wants to write a check. How much of your day are you giving your attention to things that live in a limiting place? And how much of your time, how much of your day are you giving your attention to living in an unlimited place? And he says, this is what is imperative to do. We've got to practice giving our attention to what lives in an unlimited place. And when people would ask him, well, like, how long do you do that? He would say, until you feel it. So one of the things that I would do is I saw the, the trial, the divorce, um, not being able to work. I saw all these as an opportunity to give my attention to I'm not, I, can, I cannot create a learning experience I don't need. I brought myself into this so I could be love unconditionally. I'm going to take myself out of this as love unconditionally. This is working for me. I have no idea how it's going to come out in the final reel. All I know is that this is working for me. I'm giving my attention to what lives in an unlimited place until I feel it. And God knows I've got an arena that I cannot fake it in, nipping at my heels right now. And I kept practicing this, knowing that I was supported, claiming I am divine love and wisdom. And as divine love and wisdom, that means that I am infinite, 
unlimited, and abundant. Because when was love separate from infinite, unlimited, and abundant? And I kept holding that and holding it and holding it. And I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine. And it was after I lost the trial. And we were talking. And he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, you know what's really interesting? I don't really have a game plan as like what I'm going to do because I'm still having a lot of these neurological problems and I, I, I can't hold down a job because I, I don't know when I'm going to go into one of these 12-hour seizuring events. But I've been giving my attention to this, giving my attention to what lives in an unlimited place. I've been practicing that because I figured all I had to lose was my worry and my anxiety and my stress, and I was pretty much happy to let that one go. And I said, I'm, I'm feeling it now, and I don't know how it's going to come out. I just know at this point I'm going to be okay. I know it's going to work out, and I know there's something around the corner for me that matches this feeling that I have. And sure enough, that's actually how it ultimately manifested itself. But I saw that time as my graduation class. You know, the first time I was diagnosed as terminal, and I began to realize all the stressful things, all the worry. I was addicted to worry when I was in my 20s. And I think, you know, my childhood was a good breeding ground for why I justified that being a useful and meaningful thing to give my attention to. And then when Swedenborg said, it's only useful and justifiable if that's where you want to live, and I realized, no, 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 I, I'm ready for a new zip code. I can live somewhere else. And I, I gave that up, and I really practiced creating a new person from the inside out, that when I went into the car accident and all that that implied and the divorce and the, and the legal stuff, I really realized this is my graduation course. If I can be love now, whatever is on the other side is about really taking what I've learned, what I've embodied, and sharing that with other people from a place of absolute tempered truth of this is what I know what works, not because I read it intellectually, not because somebody on a celebrity A-list told me, but because this is what I used to pull my butt out of the fire so I could speak from power, I could speak from truth, I could speak from a place, and when people call me on my show, email me, read my book and say, I'm having this challenge, I'm having this problem, I can say, brother, sister, I know that one, I've been there, I've done that, I know how you got there. I know how to get your butt out of that fire. There's nothing about that scorching flame I failed to understand because I realized that this was all about accumulating wisdom that was about sharing with other people because there's very little uh, in the smorgasbord of suffering on the planet that I have not partaken of. So when people call me or talk to me or read my book and they're suffering from something, they get what they need from that because I can speak to them. Them because there's nothing about their suffering that I fail to understand, and there's nothing about the life-saving techniques that I have learned that I cannot apply. I cannot help other people by applying it to their life. It's amazing what happens when we get out of the driver's seat, we get out of control, and we get into the passenger seat, and we allow life to come at us from a different direction, isn't it? Trust is such an exquisite divine intelligence, and yes. When you put trust in the driver's seat and you allow yourself to sit back as a passenger and say, I am the witness of this life, because 
trusting in my divinity, trusting I cannot create a learning experience I don't need, trusting I'm the senior force of intelligence in this equation and I'm senior to whatever gyration the temporal world wants to throw at me, trusting that I am the senior part, this is working for me, putting that trust in the driver's seat, that makes all the difference in the world between a life that is full of gut-wrenching suffering and a life that deals with challenging events but recognizes that the level of suffering you participate in is optional. You know, getting back to what you had said, Washali, about driving down the street and thinking about placing your attention on limited spaces, limited, limiting thoughts, which a lot of people do, isn't it amazing how when you place the majority of your attention on what could happen, what may happen, creating that fear that it actually manifests and is created? The could have, would have, should have, might have, that the ego likes to throw our way, disenfranchises us from the present moment. It minimizes our relationship with trust. One of the things that I really try to make very vivid and make tangibly honest in my books, Brian, is the understanding that we have two forms of consciousness. Well, the first form of consciousness, we don't have it. We are it. And that is divine love and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And we bring that with us when we come to the planet, and we take it with us when we leave. And because we are divine love and wisdom, there's nothing tiny or finite or minuscule or minimized about us. We are infinite and unlimited. So when we come here as divine love and wisdom, we don't have a form of intelligence small enough and tiny enough to deal with temporal life temporal reality, temporal everyday life, like what am I going to wear, what am I going to eat, how do I pay my taxes, when do I put gas in my car. So we inherit, in the same way that you inherit a physical body that gives you a physical medium for moving around in a physical world, we inherit a limited form of consciousness that's designed for solving limited problems in a limited world, balancing your bank account. Um, knowing when to pick up your kids at school, um, deciding if you're going to put on your bikini or your polar fleece pants, depending on what the weather is. That teeny tiny form of consciousness for solving teeny tiny problems in a teeny tiny world is called the ego. And we need the ego because the ego will tell us when that three-minute egg is done. It'll tell us how to fill out line 15A on our 1040 form. Our spiritual identity is too big to answer uh, an insipid, reductionistic question like that. So when we understand that we have two forms of consciousness and we begin to understand we're dealing with two levels of problems at any given moment. One is a temporal problem. Where are my car keys? The other one is an eternal problem. What is my value? Mm -hmm. My power? my worth? Why am I here? You begin to understand what voice to listen to at what time. And when you understand you have two forms of consciousness, you begin to recognize when the ego is running a number on you, because the ego hates the present moment. This is one of the things that is a universal pitfall that every single person on the planet must 
extricate themselves from is that the ego hates the present moment because the ego blames the present moment for its problems, its unhappiness, its limitations. Enlightenment only happens in the present moment. Compassion, tolerance, love in action is realized not in the past, not in the future, but in the present moment. That's where our power is. That's where we came to self-actualize ourselves. So understanding that the ego doesn't like the present moment, wants to distract you from the present moment, so you know when the should-haves, could-haves, would-haves, might-haves come up, you know what you're looking at is a really threatened ego that's performing these gyrations to try and get its tyranny position back, get you out of the present moment, get you back in a limited fear space where it can control you, where it can decide what you give your attention to. So knowing that the present moment is a place where you can show up trusting your divinity, trusting what you're creating, and knowing that when the voice of the ego shows up, and one of the things I make very clear in my books, is that you can tell when the ego is talking to you because it's a limited voice. Love is an unlimited voice. So if there's a voice going off in your nervous system, in your mind, that tells you something limiting, that takes you to a, a place that feels limiting, looks limiting, tastes limiting, you know you're listening to the ego. <laughs> and if you're solving a temporal problem in the temporal world, give it its due. And if you're not, know that this is not the time to give it your attention. This is a time for you to drop into your heart, put trust in the driver's seat, let go of the should-haves, could-haves, would-haves, because they're disenfranchising you from your power of being in the present moment as a force of love, and that's really the spiritual business that you came to the planet to get down to. And one of the most difficult things that we have as a challenge on this earth is to get over judgment. You know, around our world, we live in a world of opposites. And as you know, I was just in Africa. You know, I witnessed many, many people that had nothing. A lot of people didn't even have food. And they had just horrendous sanitation conditions. But I felt the love from these people so far beyond other places on the planet where we have everything yeah. because they stayed present. They didn't have toys to play with. The kids had no toys. Right. They had sticks. They had puddles of water. They had barely any clothes. They didn't have food, but they had smiles. They had a connection to the earth and to nature for the small amounts of food that they did consume. Yes. And, you know, I started thinking about Mother Teresa and the love that she brought to people who had nothing, mm. who were dying. And she really is a tremendous role model for all of us to be in that space yeah. of non-judgment. Yeah. It's very difficult for us. You know, even in a presidential election, there are people who actually get upset about what's going on because they want to judge this side is right this side is wrong yeah. instead of just staying connected to the change that takes place in each new day yeah. you know every one of us is a placeholder and we allow for the change 
that collectively we all with all of our energies create on our planet yet we tend to point the finger right on the other side of the desk in that common form everyday scene judgment probably one of the most difficult lessons for us to remember on this planet what do you think about judgment Lashali? well first of all one of the things I want to share is I'm so grateful for what you just collectively put out on the airwaves because a gift of your being there in Africa in these people's presence and witnessing them and seeing them and sharing with them that the only thing that you witnessed, the only presence that you acknowledged was a force of love. I mean, for you to go there, to be in their presence and see them as a force of love, what a great gift. What a huge consciousness shift. You know, it's going back to the whole Mother Teresa thing. Mother Teresa, when people would ask her, you know, you're dealing with people that that have a lot of contagious diseases. Aren't you, you know, a little concerned that you might get something? And her response was, no, I, I... I don't see a contagious disease. I, I see God expressing itself in a human being. And how many people got the gift of being seen as God in that day and in that moment? And instead of going there with judgment or ideas about their sanitation, you showed up and gave them the gift of witnessing them as God in that moment. So first thing I want to do is say, that totally rocks, boyfriend. <laughs> so Thank excellent. You. The second thing I want to say about judgment, and I'm, I'm going to go back to um, Emanuel Swedenborg on this one. One of the things that I found fascinating about his description of the other side, especially when we die, is that most of us have been brainwashed, trained, uh, conditioned to, to this notion that there is a judgment, that we're going to be judged for how we lived our life and what we did. Mm-hmm. And this is what I found fascinating. Swedenborg says, you know, well, there is a judgment day and there isn't. There is, but it's not the one that you think and you believe and you've been conditioned to be receptive for. God doesn't sit in judgment of you. He said, furthermore, God can't. Because God is just pure, unconditional love mm-hmm. and isn't capable of judging you or being angry or even frowning in your direction. He says, you sit in judgment of yourself. Absolutely. So if you see yourself as somebody that is not deserving and worthy of love and happiness, when you get to the other side, you won't, be, you won't stay in heaven. You won't move into heaven because you won't see yourself as deserving and worthy of it because you've practiced judging yourself as not being worthy of it. Or let's take the flip side of the coin to that, Brian. Let's say you see yourself as superior, better than (laughs) these other people. You know, they're just peons and minuscule. You're not going to be comfortable in heaven because everybody is equal there. There are no peons. There is nobody that you can stand on to make yourself feel better about yourself. We're all equally God. 
So you're going to move yourself out of heaven because you're not going to be comfortable in that climate. So one of the things that Swedenborg says is there is no judgment in heaven. Everybody sees each other equally as God, embraces each other equally as God, and celebrates the opportunity to be in this moment as realized divine love. And if that's a place that you want to live and that's a a residence that you want to take up, you've got to start practicing living there now. So my personal feeling about judgment is I can't take it into heaven with me when I let go of this mortal coil, and I can't take it into my experience of heaven while I'm here. It's simply uh, a a pair of underwear that gives me an uncomfortable wedgie that I simply can't wear anywhere. (laughs) So I'm going to let go of that fashion accessory because there is no payoff on it in this side of the fence, on that side of the fence, or simply in my ability to manifest a relationship with personal happiness. There is no payoff in being judgmental if I want to be here now and I want to be happy. I don't care if you believe in God and don't believe in God or heaven. I don't really, I don't care. Do you care about being happy right here and now? And if you do, you'll see that there's no, there's no payoff in being judgmental. It doesn't foster, doesn't nurture, doesn't connect, doesn't embody that state of being happy in this moment right now. You know, another area that a lot of people have a difficult time with is the thought that before we ever came here we chose the situations or the potentials that our life would have we knew who our parents would be we knew what a lot of those energies were and we came back with a reason and an intention now I'm not saying that we live up to the greatest intention that we have because on the other side of the veil we have unlimited potential mm-hmm. and we come down here and we think of ourselves as, oh my gosh, we're limited now. Mm. <laughs> we look out instead of being part of, and a whole different set of scenarios starts to take place. And we have to relearn. We have to remember some of the great things that we knew just a second ago before we came back. And then we do. You know, all of us, and even whoever we think is a bad person, a person that does things that we don't like, still is 100% a part of God. Yes. Everyone and everything. And whatever energies they have simply are the energies that we have to deal with, the earth has to deal with, nature has to deal with, we all collectively deal with. And whatever happens 3,000 miles away, 14,000 miles away, affects everyone and everything on this planet. Absolutely. We can no longer put our heads in the sand and say, well, gosh, that happened over in Zimbabwe, so we really shouldn't be concerned about that. Too bad about this, too bad about that. I look at everything that happens on our planet as our opportunity to help others remember And when we do remember, what we have been talking about today, our world changes in an instant. Wishali? Yes, my love. What about, what do you say to people when they start to ask you about other places around our world, other things that are happening? You know, a lot of people think that uh, in the Middle East, there are big problems. There's a tremendous amount of fear in the United States about the Middle East. 
What do you say about that? You know, it's very interesting. One of the things that we consider ourselves in America to be a predominantly Christian culture. I'm not saying that there aren't other religions here, but that seems to be what we kind of proclaim ourselves as a predominantly Christian culture. And it's really interesting that it seems like the very last thing we recognize are Christ-like qualities and Christ-like teachings, even though we profess that we're swimming in the soup (laughs) of this mentality. So my first thought would be, you're looking at your own mind. Everything is a projection of our own mind. Mm -hmm. And if you're concerned about the Middle East, that's nature's way of saying, why don't you participate in that community from a place of love? Why don't you imagine that you can connect to those people through a conduit of love? Maybe you do it through prayer. Maybe you do it through meditation. Maybe you do it through creative visualization. I, you know, it doesn't really matter how you label that real living relationship of extending a connectedness of one through love. Because if you're responding to them from a place of wishing them well, of seeing the light of a thousand Buddhas upon them, as petitioning that the greatest love of heaven be bestowed upon them, now you're connected from a place of good faith. Now you're connected from a place of empowerment, that divine love and wisdom is the most powerful force in the universe. It is more powerful than your fear, than your intimidation, than your intrepidation, than the stuff that you get downloaded from CNN and, and, and MSNBC and all the other sources in which we plug into our information about the Middle East. If you're concerned about that relationship, my first thought is, why aren't you responding to it with love? It's the most powerful force in the universe. And if you are concerned about something, why don't you throw your divinity at it instead of your insecurity? Wouldn't that make you feel a whole lot better? (laughs) Wouldn't that be a more proactive stance? And if you can find something better to lubricate your relationship with than divine love and wisdom, sign me up. I'm there. You know what? That is the key to everything in life is to find that space of unconditional love. You know, I read a book uh, Joe Vitale wrote, and I can't think of the name of it, but it was about Ho'oponopono. No limits. Yeah, no limits. Zero limits. Zero limits. And basically, it's the same thing. I, I mean, it's been... thinking about that book. I love you. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. And it changes all the dynamics from everyone that you practice on. Because really, you're practicing on yourself. You know, i got to tell you, when um, I had some neighbors, they're gone, but we shared a wall. And they were a very young couple, and they would get very angry and very violent. And they usually would choose between 3.30 and 5.30 in the morning to start slamming each other against the wall and 
I mean, they would literally shake the building so much that other people in the building were calling the police because I'm on the third floor and the other people on the first floor across the building could hear them and could feel that what was going on in their apartment. And it would, their screaming and yelling and antics would wake us all up. And, you know, I never know if somebody's going to pull a gun and, you know, the bullet's going to go through their wall into mine. <laughs> and my sweetheart was with me during one of their particular violent outbursts. And there's no way you can sleep through it. And he turned to me and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I love you. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Thank you. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I love you. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Thank you. And the next day we ran into them in the hall. And when we saw them, instead of them getting defensive or upset or Did, are you the ones that called the police, they gave us a big smile. And I just went over and gave him a hug and said, we love you. We want you to be happy. If there's anything we can do for you, we love you. And it was just, it was monumental, the shift in that moment. It's amazing what happens when love is involved. It moves mountains. Doesn't it? And that was a, that was a wonderful book and just a wonderful experience. Uh, you know, I highly recommend those of you who haven't heard of that book, Zero Limits by Joe Vitale. Just an incredible opportunity to expand your awareness of how powerful we all really are. Because we are unconditional love. There's nothing else but that. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And I like it. So, Wishali, how would you sum up what you've learned in your experience on Earth so far? What I would sum it up is this. You are what you love, and you love whatever you give your attention to. And when you own and you claim that you are divine love and wisdom, and that's what you love giving your attention to for no other reason than that is what you love, then you are a force of love on this planet that no one and no thing has the power to change, corrupt, or diminish. And what is that worth to you? That's worth everything. And one of the ways I want to just invite all the listeners one more time to take a look at the Universal Flag at universalflag.org. That symbol, which is spread into 110 countries and continues to spread in each new day, represents exactly what we've talked about on this show today. It represents unconditional love and the oneness of everyone and everything. Well, Shelley, what's the website that we can find you at? Uh, my website is purple, because i got a thing for that color, purple V, V as in violet, purpleV.com. And I also want to say that I'm going to be at the Bodhi Tree Bookstore at 8585 Melrose Avenue in West Hollywood tomorrow, Sunday, the 16th. I'm giving a free lecture at 3 o'clock about my book, Wisdom Rising. We've got a lot of giveaways, and it's a very enlightening time. I... Um, uh, uh, I'm known for being the wild woman, and if you come and see me at the Bodhi Tree tomorrow at 3 o'clock, there will be no question in your mind is why I'm called the wild child of spirituality. So I want to encourage people to visit my website, purpleV.com. My book is available on Amazon.com or on purpleV.com. You are what you love in Wisdom Rising. And please, come by and see me tomorrow. Put on something purple. Put love in your heart. Come by and see me at the Bodhi Tree Bookstore tomorrow at 8585. Melrose Avenue, West Hollywood, at 3 o'clock. 
Well, Shelly, I want to thank you so much for being our guest today. I need to tell you that I'm part of that purple group, too. It's all I ever see when I'm on the other side. I'm with you, brother. <laughs> Everyone, stay tuned for A Call to Consciousness next week. I'll see you then. Tom Hartman here. My wife and I were thinking of buying new furniture, and we thought, why buy new? Why not reupholster our old furniture instead? After all, it's built better. It's better for the environment. And we thought about Riviera. Let Riviera reupholster your sofa, chair, or loveseat. They can take any piece of furniture and give it a whole new look with over 10,000 fabrics to choose from. And did you know that Riviera can also refinish your favorite dining table or other wood furniture? They do it all by hand, and nobody beats the quality of their craftsmen. Listen to this. Here's a special offer. Riviera is in the final weeks of their 70th anniversary sale. The first 70 callers today will get 70% off the labor on either upholstery or wood refinishing. Get ready to call. The first 70 callers will get 70% off the labor. Call 1-800-55-COVER. 1-800-55-COVER. Call 1-800-55-COVER. Call now, 1-800-55-COVER. This is my way to learn Spanish. This is my way to learn French. My way to learn Russian. Italian. Japanese. My way. My way. Chinese. My way to learn a foreign language. The best way to learn a foreign language is your way. Rosetta Stone invites you to try absolutely free a software program developed around the way you think and the way you learn, the same way you learned your first language. In fact, it's been recognized as the fastest, easiest way to learn a language guaranteed. It's totally my way to learn Spanish. No classrooms, no boring drills, no useless memorization. It's a learning program that works around you, not the other way around. And right now you can try it absolutely, positively free with a free demo CD-ROM. Free. That's definitely my way. Try Rosetta Stone for free by calling 1-800-500-3630. 1-800-500-3630. For your free demo, call 1-800-500-3630. 1-800-500-3630. This is Dan Tullis, and I just called Joel Clark, one of Select Quote Insurance Services Term Life Agents. Hi, Mr. Tullis. Joel, how does Select Quote save you money on term life insurance? Well, buying term life insurance is about choosing the right company. Let's say you take antidepressants or you smoke. All insurance companies are going to price that differently. Now, we'll impartially shop all the companies we represent to find you the best price. Can you give me an example? Sure. I just got a 40-year-old man on blood pressure medication, a $500,000 policy with a highly rated insurance company. His price? $20 a month. Thanks, Joel. See how affordable term life insurance can be for you. Call 1-800-900-5689. That's 1-800-900-5689. Or go to selectquote.com. Select Quote. We shop. You save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health and other factors. Not available in all states. I watched this film in English and French, and it was just so romantic. I was crying like a little girl. It was down to the last few seconds of the match, right? And then I go to the next level, and I'm playing a guy sitting two seats over who's listening to a song I haven't heard since I was holding hands with my high school boyfriend. Enjoy over 1,000 channels of on-demand entertainment on Emirates' non-stop service from Los Angeles to Dubai. Discover more at emirates.com slash USA. Fly Emirates. Keep discovering. 
Looking for an economical getaway to Vegas? Call 1-800-4-CIRCUS or book online at CircusCircus.com with weekday rates starting at $41 and weekend rates starting at $89 per night. Circus Circus, the best value on the Las Vegas Strip. K-Talk AM 1150. Progressive is the new mainstream. KTLK AM 1150.com. K-Talk AM 1150. K-T-L-K. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. KTLK AM 1150. We now enter.